you are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Okay, Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Dan! <laughs> Yes, today is the new year because it's the uh, new year in, in church calendar. It's the season of Advent. Quick, who? Uh, what does Advent mean? What does it mean, Advent? The beginning of a new year. It's like every year I ask this question, right? Meaning of Advent. Definition of Advent. Advent children. I think a Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy, right? Oh, uh, hey. No, not beginning. I know this, but I'm not putting words. Huh? Waiting? No. Ready? Stop cheating. Beginning? No. Coming. 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 Yeah. All right. Advent means coming. So this is season of Advent. Oh. Huh? For the coming, but as we know, as we know, as we have studied through the Gospel of Luke, is that it's not just we are celebrating Jesus that who has come, but also Jesus who's coming, and also the present fact that God has come. So it's all of that. It's God has come. God is already here. The kingdom is here, but kingdom is also being completed. It's coming. Jesus has come, so it's celebrating all of that. So we combine all of that. And different uh, different readings in, in church calendar, these lectionary readings we do, they are divided into three seasons. Um, three, uh, well, divided into three. <laughs> three, okay? <laughs> I should put it at that. So there's year A, year B, year C, and uh, different years. And they, you know, they go back. After year C, they go back. And uh, different year, the readings are different in season of Advent. As you can see, one of the years, this year, it starts with warnings about it's coming. Be ready. I believe this is a year C that we're... Yeah, it is year C. So, it's talking about the emphasis, as you have read, it's about kingdom of God is here, ready, be watchful, you know, be a lookout. And that's really the message. So, that's what we are kind of being in, and that's the, uh, the scriptures and readings that you're going to do. You're going to be reading on Sundays when we come together. So um, take it to heart, and that's the message of Advent. We want particularly to go through the message of Christmas or Advent, um, except that uh, the, a week before Christmas, Sunday before Christmas, I'll do uh, my Christmas, you know, spiel on all the fun stuff. And I, I will try to build my Lego model of, uh, of uh, right, where Jesus was born, right? Yeah. He wasn't born in a barn, right? So uh, I, I did a Lego house for that. So, <laughs> anyways, um, we're continuing from that last week, uh, chapter eleven. Last week we talked about praying, and praying is what? Talking to God. Talking to God, right? Communicating with God, dialogue, conversation with God, and the important thing that we learn from Jesus is, as we are talking to God, communicating with God, God is like. Who? Uh, God is like who? Your dad. 
Like daddy. God is like daddy. So there is an intimacy in prayer. So whether you know what that is to have intimacy with God, with the Father or not, some of you don't have a father, some of you had father who never, you never had intimacy with, um, you don't know, but think of the best possible intimacy that you can have with Father. And that's our conversation with Jesus. That's our conversation with God when we pray. So like, I think me with Hannah, we, we like in the morning, Hannah and I, we, we snuggle. <laughs> and, but when we wake up, we like snuggle, right? We snuggle. Our like legs are all like this, <laughs> like noodle twisted with Esther and Hannah and mine and... We snuggle and, you know, like last Sunday, she was like, Ah, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> we're like, Hannah, where are you going? Come back. And we look at the <clears throat> we just snuggled for like an hour. Literally, for like an hour, we've just been snuggling in bed on Sunday morning. So, um, some of you have that. And some of you picture that. Some of you know that. Picture that. That's the dialogue that you can have with God. So when you pray, talk to God. Not anybody else, not the crowd, not to yourself, not about the prayer, but talk to God. So that's what we learned uh, last week, and today, the text we have today, it's kind of completely different. It's not intimate and all sweet, and all that. it's complete opposite. We're going to talk about demons and, uh, and the warnings that Jesus has for those people. So let me pray, and we'll read through the text. It's long, so we're actually going to read half, and read the half after we discuss you know, parts of what we have just read. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come that you are here and you are coming. Help us know that we are, as you say in your Bible, that we are blessed people. Help us know that. That even the all those characters, awesome characters we see in the Bible, they've never received what we have now. Help us celebrate it, remember it, and give you thanks. And as we take on this text, the words of warning, words of caution, God, I pray that your hearts... Uh, your words will touch our hearts and our hearts will be soft enough to receive your words and that we will understand and your spirit will guide our uh, mind. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so let's go ahead and read. Uh, we're going to read from verse 14 to basically the whole thing on the first page. And uh, as we usually do, we're going to read, I'll read one verse and read the next. <coughs> I find some humor in these texts, and they are kind of hard to understand, so that's why I'm going to try to go through it to help us understand what, uh, what the context and what the, the teaching is about. Verse 14, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the one who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. the ruler of Others, uh, to test him, kept demanding from him a sign from heaven. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself becomes a desert, and a house falls on a house. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out the demons by Beelzebub. Now if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you exercise cast out? Therefore they will be judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out the demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his castle, his property is safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away his armor in which he is trusted and divides his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me. 
When the unclean spirit has gone, has gone out of a person, it wanders through the waterless regions, looking for a resting place. But not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Then he goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and live there. And the last... And the last state of that person is worse than the first. While he was saying this, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the woman that bore you, and the breast that nursed you. But he said, Blessed whether are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And the words were increasing. He began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Verse 30. For just as Jonah became a sign, of, a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the son of, son of man will be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, because she came from the end of the earth with the list of the stars. And see, something greater than Solomon is here. Okay, everyone still with me? Alright, verse 32. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah. And see, something greater than Jonah is here. No one is not going to be in the cellar. But on the lamp stands so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if it is not healthy, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, consider whether the light is in you or if then your whole body is full of light, with no part of it in, in darkness, it will be as full of light as when a lamp gives you light with its rays. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Any thoughts? Something stood out to you? It is kind of hard to understand. It's kind of all over, it seems like. Go ahead. There's still more in the back. I know there are still more in the back. Yeah. Because uh, it's such a big chunk. We're going to go through this part first, and then we'll tackle the, uh, the rest. Anything that stood out to you? That seems strange? Anyone understand what's going on? The context? Who's what? Beelzebul. Beelzebul is reference to basically a... They say it's a prince of demons. So it's the... Yeah. It's a literal translation is Lord of Flies, uh, but it's mentioned through a, a couple of times in the Old Testament by different names, and also in the Jewish, uh, Jewish I guess, uh, understanding and study, uh, they reference to uh, Prince of Demons, basically someone who's right below Satan, who's the sort of Prince of Satan, Demons. Right. Well... Okay, well, let's go through this. You might want to just kind of keep your eyes on the uh, text. So if I do make a reference so you understand which one I'm talking about. Um, part of what we do on Sunday isn't just for me to explain, oh, this is what the meaning of it, or here's the point that we can learn from the text. But also, I want to help you understand how to look at the scripture. That why I say and teach, the, and make the points of things that I, points that I make. By looking at the text. So I also want to share the time with you. It's not the most exciting or fun time. But it is time of learning that allows you to also do it yourself as you read your, do your own reading. So go ahead and keep your eyes on the text. So we see from the very beginning, there is a story. This is a story of uh, 
there is a story of casting out a demon. Jesus cast out a demon, which one? This one apparently has made a person mute. He casts out demon, and he becomes able to speak. So we we're familiar with that story, but this isn't the really point of the story. That's only the backdrop of the story. It's important when you read and. Ben studied you know, English literature. It's important to realize as you're reading the story, what is the backdrop and what is the author really trying to point focus at? So this is the backdrop of the story, that Jesus casting out a demon from a man. So really the point of it, the story is that there are three responses from people and Jesus responds to those responses, replies to those responses. So those three responses are, you see in the back of your, uh, on the, the back page, <coughs> Verse 14, we see that they were amazed. People are amazed. They see a miracle Jesus has done. They're amazed. It doesn't necessarily say they believed in Jesus or followed Jesus. They were just amazed. There are people who are going to be amazed at God, you know, sunset, God's creation and whatever, but necessarily doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that they actually believe in God, right? So first response, they were amazed. And second, some question Jesus' source of power. Like, how do you, how are you doing this? What is your source of power? Obviously, we know that they're accusing him of having source of power as a demon as a source of power. Right? That's the uh, second response, verse 15. Third response is, some ask for a sign from heaven. That's verse 16. Some, some are saying, well, show, us the, show us more. Show us the proof that you are doing this by God. You are who you say you are. Show us some more stuff for us to go with. So Jesus' response, so... What we see as Jesus replied to these two questions, basically, is uh, reply to accusation and the source of power is from verse 17 to 22. And, uh, and reply to sign for sign, you jump, and it's, it's from 29, verse 29 to 32. And in between it and towards the end of it, Jesus makes a point. He gives a warning talking about demons going out and coming back and talking about what a light how a light is a, a light to uh, your body. Eyes are your light to your body. Um, and at the end, the, the rest of the part that we're going to read is how Jesus rebukes Pharisees and lawyers. And which kind of flows really well because in other Gospels, when you look at the same story in the Gospel of Mark, it's talking about these some people who ask questions aren't just people, but they're Pharisees. In Gospel of Mark, uh, Matthew, it says, these people who ask for sign are lawyers. So, we know that these are all tied together where Jesus at the end rebukes people. And they come almost as an example of people that Jesus has warned about. So, we can see that how the story flows. Okay, sound good? Anyway, you kind of got the context and the frame of the, frame of the reading. So, let's go ahead and talk about the question. The first question people ask, and that is, by what power did Jesus do this? That's the question, right? How did you do this? What's the, what power are you using? So, right away, the question seems strange to us because we don't talk this way. Like, what happens when you see something of a miracle? What's our usual response? Our usual response is, is that really? Did it really happen? That's our response, isn't it? Our response is, did it really happen? Did anyone see it? Is it scientifically possible? Is there any proof? Did anyone YouTube it or you know you know you know film it? Right? That's our response. Let's see it again. We don't. We doubt the possibility. At this time in Jesus' time, it's more people do believe. It's rather common that you see something miraculous. People go, okay, but who did it? That's actually their response. Their response is, who did it? 
Was it a demon? Was it a Satan? Or was it God? Was it what kind of God was it? If you go outside Israel, it's what kind of God was it? Which God did it? And that's usually their response. So it's really a legit question to ask because sometimes things are done. Like in this case, good thing has been done, but doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean it was from God's power, right? The person's mute. That doesn't necessarily mean the person is sick and mute because the devil has entered him, right? He's possessed of demons. Do you know the story of Christmas? During Christmas, before Jesus was born, there was a Jesus' cousin who was born earlier. His name is John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, John the Baptist's father received the news from the uh, angels. And what did he do? What did he do? He didn't believe it. So what happened to him? He couldn't speak. He became a mute. So what about that? Angel made him mute. That doesn't necessarily mean that demons did it, right? So when you see a situation, you can't necessarily say, oh, that's demon, oh, that's God. You have to, it's a legit question to ask, well, how did this happen? Whose power is it, right? Who's responsible for this? So we know that there are, it's not just always God, it's not always demon, but there are two different powers in the world. They're not equal. One thing I, I think we need to remember is it's not an equal power, but there are two different powers. There's a power and there's a power. There's power of God and there's a power of darkness, power of demons. And we see that. And there's a sorcery and there's a magic. And we've seen that in the story of Egypt, right? The Moses go and show his stuff, right? The miracles, the plague. And what does what do a Pharaoh's uh, magicians do? They copy, right? Up to a certain point, they were able to copy, right? They were able to do it because they also too have power. So how do we know is really the question. How do, you, how do we know? How do we tell apart? How do we tell apart? So, you know, we can't be people that, you know, like someone who sees a miracle, so something happened to me, it was a miracle, it was a sign of God, I'm going to follow this. Or this guy showed me a miracle, he must be, you know, someone sent from God, I'm going to follow this person and devote my life to this person. Right? You can't know, right? You can't know for sure. So how do you know? How do you tell apart? How do you tell apart? Whether whose God, whose power is God, which power is God's power and which is not. Find the true. You find out their true intentions. Sometimes, right? But there there can be hard to find. But what do we what do we how do we do to find and have under better understanding of what is evil and what is God's godly? You know God better? How do you know God? How do you search for God? By reading the Bible. By reading the Bible. There you go. <laughs> right? Really the solution, because there are powers and there are powers of the world. solution is to, you have to get to know God. Right? Know God and through the Bible. And you need a community to tell us, well, that sounds strange. Let's take a look at it together. Let's understand this together. Let's reflect on it together. Let's pray together to see what this means to us, to you, and to us as communities. That's why you need a community. Right? You need a community. And that's why you also need the Holy Spirit for God to guide you and give you understanding of what is godly and what is not. That's why Jesus said at the end of what we read last week is pray for the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest thing that we can ever get from God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So, um, the conclusion uh, by the crowd is Jesus must be working with the devil. 
right? That's the conclusion they give because it's an ideal way to kind of oppose Jesus and attack him at the same time. So Jesus answers the charge in three ways. To make it simple, first he answers back with the logic. Verse 17 to 18, he answers with the logic saying, Satan would not work against himself, right? I mean, this evil spirit, this demon that's in him, this guy needs a promotion, not, doesn't need to give, be fired, right? He's done really, really good job, right? If he's, if, you know, Jesus is with Satan, but no, because Satan cannot be divided, right? So Jesus argues with the logic, and second, he argues with comparison. He says, by what power do exorcists among you work? Do they, are they also with Satan? Right? So, there were other exorcists, and even today, there are other exorcists. Even Josh made a group called Exorcists and tried to go exorcise people. He didn't do it. He had no occurrence to do it. But, you know, there are exorcists, even now today, right? So, what about them? So, Jesus uh, argues with a comparison. And lastly, Jesus argues with a challenge. He says, if I work by the finger of God, then the kingdom has come. Verse 20. Where have you heard that? A finger of God. It's a cool word, right? Cool phrase. Finger of God. Where have you heard that? In Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, it says, And the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord has said. Right? They saw it. They did it. They copied it. And up to a certain point, they said, This is the finger of God. This is God. This isn't magic. This isn't sorcery. This is God. Right? And Jesus says, Again, Luke bringing the story of Exodus back to the story of Jesus. This is finger of God. The God of Exodus is back. That's what I'm saying. God of Exodus is back. The kingdom of God is back. So the fact is, what Jesus says, you know, so for you know, go from verse 21 to 22 is now, is Satan is strong, but now there is somebody else. There is power that's more powerful. There's power that's greater than Satan, and Satan is being thrown out. That's what it means. When uh, Jesus is saying that Satan is defeated and he's taking his plunder, which means he's freeing the demon-possessed people because Jesus has come, took his plunder, and had overtaken the house of Satan. So Jesus is saying that his work and that of his, his disciples is beginning of the end of forces of evil. So you get that? People ask, whose power is it? Jesus says, what if this is the power of God? What if I'm bringing the end of Satan, the demon's power. Okay, the second question that they ask is, request for a sign, more sign, right? They say, what well, show us more sign? They just want to see, well, is God in this? How do we know, right? Do you know anybody like this? Someone who you tell them about God, tell them about the gospel, and their usually response is, well, I need more proof, Right? You meet people like that. I need more proof. I need to see some kind of sign. I need God to come and show me that He exists somewhere, somehow. And, but Jesus says here that in verse um, verse 29, He says that this generation is an evil generation. It asks for a sign. When somebody asks for a sign, it just means that they don't want to believe it. They're rebellious. They're looking for a way out. They're still holding on to what they have. So Jesus offers no, no other proof, but he says, 
he gives a story of Jonah and Solomon. And what he says in this is Jonah is a prophet that went to Nineveh, which is a, a non-Israel country. And when he went and warned people of their sin, and they repented. So Jesus saying, here is Jesus, a greater prophet than Jonah, which his own people would not listen. And he talks about Queen of South, which is Queen of, Queen of Shiva, um, Ethiopia, who came to see Solomon because Solomon's wisdom was known throughout the world. She traveled all the way from faraway country to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And Jesus says, here's me, here's Jesus with a greater wisdom than that of Solomon. And his own people will not listen. We're not going to listen. And we're going to move on. As Jesus travels to the land and he gets to the Jerusalem, what does he do when he gets to Jerusalem? He weeps over Jerusalem. And this is what we're seeing. The progress we're seeing is he's speaking and people are not turning to him. They're being stubborn. They will not listen. So Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And the conclusion here is the people of Nineveh and Queen of South will judge Jesus' audience, this generation, for they do not receive a prophet greater than Jonah and a man wiser than Solomon. His hearers uh, have seen and heard and now they must choose and they decline. So, challenge here is, what about you? What about you? Have you chosen Jesus? Have you chosen to listen to Jesus? Have you heard enough? Or are you still asking for sign and proof? Are you still questioning where the power of God is from? Because proof is never convincing, right? It's never convincing. That's why the miracle never generate faith. It's is seeing believing or believing seeing. It's either, right? It's one of them, right? It can't be both. You either believe to see or you see to believe. You can't have both, right? So what about you? Do you need to see the proof? Or can you choose Jesus for what, you, what, um, what he has shown? So those are two responses to people Jesus replied. So what do we take back? What is Jesus trying to teach us through this? And we know this from the warnings he gives us from verse 24 to 26. He talks about, talks about demon, gets casted out, right? And the man who was, you know, had a demon was all crazy and now his life is in order. He's doing fine. Right, he's doing fine. And the demon goes out. He can't find any other body. And the demon calls it a house. The person's body was a house demon. So he comes back. Say, says, I'm going to go back to my house. So he comes back to the person that was casted out. And, not, and But this time, he's bringing seven other more evil demons along with him. So he, the man gets possessed with even more demons. So the last state of this person is even worse than it was before. And Jesus goes on to share about the light. How the, our eyes are light of our body. Otherwise we have darkness in us. We chase after darkness. So what is Jesus trying to teach us? So when you look at this, there's two things. One, some of us, um, what Jesus is saying isn't to individual um, first. It's to an Israel as a nation of people. You are doing better than you were at the time of Exodus. 
They have, I mean, time of exile. They have gotten better. They have things in order. They have Pharisees and they have lawyers and they have a temple and you got things in your order, but you're still missing God in your house. Jesus is saying, you're missing God in your house. There is no God in the temple. And as long as it's empty, what's going to happen? They'll continue to stay that way. Darkness. Darkness comes back. So it's the same for us. Some of us and some of the people we know goes to church, engages with church, engage with Christian life, and I'm doing these things, and you have cleaned your life, and you in outside it appears like you're doing well. But you don't have a spirit of God in you. And what happens? It's empty. What happens when your heart is empty? It's an empty room. Who comes back? Whatever was in there before. The demon comes back. The power of Satan comes back. This time, even stronger. If it's left, if it's left empty. And, uh, and Jesus, in talking about light, said, Your eyes are lamp of your body. And when the light enters, darkness scatters. Right? Darkness scatters. Which means, that's the whole thing with the light. And he goes on to talk about more. But the thing about light is light comes in and you either embrace the light or you embrace darkness. Because light, not only does light bring hope, but light also brings judgment. Because light shines on everything. So if you had dark things in you, if you had things that were hidden in the darkness, what happens when the light comes in? It gets exposed. And some people like darkness. People hold on to darkness. So that's also a question to us is, is there a darkness is there, that you are holding on to? That you don't want the light of God to shine in? Because it's something that you got to let go. Something you got to let go. Because light brings hope and possibility, but it also exposes darkness and it judges. And you know, that's really what gospel is. The gospel of Jesus is light into darkness. It shines on people. It shines on things that people want to hold on to and hide. And people don't want it. So even if it's a good news, even if it's a good thing done to people, people don't want it because it's not what I want. I want to hold on to something else. So Jesus gives us an example of what those people are like. Right? What those people are like. People who are look fine in outer in outer appearances but are empty. And missing God. So we're going to go ahead and continue to read verse 37 to verse 54. Verse 37. While, this is kind of comical. I found it comical. While he was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to dine with him. So he went in and took his place at the table. The Pharisee was amazed to see that he did not wash, wash before dinner. See that? Jesus didn't wash his hands. <coughs> I can't tell this story to Hannah. <laughs> then the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, clean the outside, clean the outside of the cup and the, and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. One who made the outside also. So give for arms those things that are within, and see, everything will be clean for you. For you Pharisees, for you men and herbs of all kinds, and neglect justice and the love of God. It is in these things that you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Would to you, Pharisees, for you love 
to have the seat of honor as in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplace. And here we go. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. <laughs> and he said, Well, also to you, lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and yourselves do not lift a finger to ease them. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your ancestors killed. So you are witnesses and approve of the deeds of your ancestors, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, that's Jesus, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that this generation may be charged with the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be charged against this generation. Who do you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those from entering. When he went outside, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile toward him, and to cross-examine him about many things. Right, this is Jesus just yelling <laughs> after everybody, right? Hey, you're making us look good. Well, I'm going to yell at you too. And he just turns around and starts yelling at everybody, right? And you got to get this part where it says, yes, that you will be charged, your generation, this generation Jesus is speaking to will be charged with the blood from Abel to Zechariah. What did Abel say when he died? Or Jesus said, or God said, where are you? And who's crying out? Abel is crying out, right? Zechariah, it says in uh, Second King, Second Kings, that Zechariah was killed, and he said Zechariah called out for vengeance from the Lord. That's what they fear the most. Are they not only are they not embracing God? They are the target of the vengeance of the Lord. And this is what Jesus is saying to the lawyers who precisely understand what he's saying. Say the worst punishment, everything that you fear the most is coming to you. The vengeance of God is coming to you. Why? The thing about what Jesus points out about Pharisees and lawyers are, they look all good outside, but they left hearts untouched. Their heart hasn't been touched. They're concentrating on things outside, but failing to see Within, inside, your offering from within. So, we are here, we give, we serve, we do things, but do you give, devote yourself from within? Do you devote your heart, your intentions, your thoughts, your mind, your responses to things that happen, your joy? Do you devote that to God? Because true faith is cares as much about giving to God the thoughts, intentions, and motivations of heart. One of the um, the reason that Jesus is so mad, and uh, there's only one time that Jesus and God gets angry. Jesus also got crazy angry one time. Do you guys know when? Jesus. Jesus. When he's in the temple. When he's in the temple, and there's a, he was yeah, flipping. He went crazy angry, right? In my, in my, you know, in my understanding, there's only one time, there's only reason, one reason that gets God fiercely 
angry. And Jesus too. And that's when people get in the way of God, between the God and His people. And that's what these people were doing. Pharisees and lawyers said, you are, not only are you going in, but you're keeping the people who want to go in from going in. Coming to me. And that's where the the vengeance of God comes from. There's people in the temple, they were preventing people from going to God. That's when God gets most angry, when we are, there are people in between us and God. Because it also shows the heart of God. What does God desire the most? For us to come to Him. Anything that gets in the way, He fights, right? He fights. And if that was the sin of our lives, a sin, then what does He do? He gives up His life to take care of that. Because what God desires the most is us coming to Him. And He hates the most people who stand in the middle. In the middle, in between. And blocks people. I have three challenges from the scripture that we have studied today. The first is, have you heard enough? Do you believe or are you still rebellious and seeking signs? Is there still rebelliousness in you? Secondly, you may cleanse yourself out, but is there a spirit of God living in you? Or is it simply empty? That's a warning for all of us. Is it empty? Because if it's empty, then something else will come in. Lastly, are you completely filled with light so that your heart is devoted to God and outwardly loving God and loving people? Or have you left your heart unchanged? You can do everything that people do as a Christians, but have your heart changed? Do you see people differently? Do you respond to people differently? Is your intention a godly intention? Do you submit your joy and sadness to God? Has your heart unchanged? Because this is it. Kingdom of God is here. God is here. He wants to change us. He is changing us because of His power. That's what we celebrate, the season of Advent. And that means also means the Holy Spirit is available for us to work through our hearts, to change and fill our hearts with the Spirit. And that's what we pray. And that's what we celebrate. When we take bread in the cup, that's what we celebrate. That God is here. God has taken away the greatest thing that stands in, in between us. And He calls us to give our hearts. Devote our lives. No more, ask, no more questions of looking for signs, but trust God and obey. And say, I choose to follow. Let me pray. And we'll break the bread and drink the cup. Father, we pray that you will allow all of us to examine our hearts. Is there light in our hearts or is there a darkness still looming in our hearts? Are we still holding back, not able to trust you? And I pray that God, your love and only your love will convict us to give ourselves to you, even the very innermost things within us. And you will grant us the greatest wish that we would have is to have your spirit dwell in us and make itself home in us. We desire our hearts to be your home. In Jesus' name, Amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.